All right, tonight, if you're just joining us, tonight is part three in the series we've been in. Um, It's called The Problem of Lust, and you've kind of heard that from Ben and from Kevin already. Um, So tonight is the last night that we're going to be doing sort of what I call direct teaching on this topic. Next week, we're going to do something slightly different. Um, If you've been here in the past, you maybe know kind of what that'll be, but it'll be really great. So don't miss next week. It's always a really good time. You go a little deeper. Um, So do not miss next week. It's going to be awesome. But so here's where we've been in this series. We're talking primarily about lust. We've kind of said, we said at the very first week, sex isn't really the problem. Lust is the problem. And so we're not really capitalizing so much on sex. I'm going to talk a little more about that tonight in, in, a, in a sense. We're really talking about lust. And I said that first week, like you can lust over anything, right? I mean, you can lust over chocolate. And I mentioned like you can lust over great food. But what, what we're really talking about, and most of the time when lust is used, we're talking about Sex, And I said that lust is an overmastering sexual desire. But the main point from the first week, if you remember this, is I said, here's the thing about lust, it, it's never satisfied. I said that lust is a thirst that is never quenched. And the problem with lust is as soon as you get what you want, that person or that thing or that object, it still wants more. And it still wants more and it still wants more. In fact, do you remember the payoff of lust is a continual lust for more? And it just doesn't satisfy. And so that's what stinks about lust. Lust becomes more like an addiction, and it drives you. And many of you in here maybe know that. It's maybe much like a drug, and you try it the first, one time, and you're hooked. Week two, last week, James talked about where we find the power to change, how we find the power to change. And he talked about that we only change, we only find the power to change through the Holy Spirit. And he talked from Galatians 5 about walking in the Spirit. And his whole point was, he kind of, poked fun a little at some of the things we'll talk about tonight because we try some of these tactics to refrain from lust, but they don't really fix anything. In fact, he really kind of camped on, you know the Bible talks a lot about the law? And I sometimes think as high school students, we hear the law and our eyes just glaze over because we're like, I don't know, that's kind of Bible talk. I know what the laws are in America, but what's the law in the, in the Bible? But the, he said the laws or the rules, they're good, they're really good, they just can't change you. And in fact, they were never actually meant to change you. They don't have the power to change you. The whole point of the law, the whole point of the rules in the Bible are really to kind of point out to you that we can't do this. We need a savior. We need, we need God to rescue us. And so that was kind of where he went. Um, he had that like tester thing, that whatever outlet tester said, the, the, the rules, they're the diagnostic, but they're not the cure. Only Christ is the cure. So tonight, here's the thing. This is where we're going. I want to get practical tonight. And tonight, I want you, I want to get you guys to think about the times and the places and the things that tempt you the most to lust. And then I want to challenge you to come up with a plan to work on those. And I'll give some thoughts, but we really got to really develop some kind of plan to fight against this stuff. And these things really can help us, and I'm going to stress this again, if and only if you really understand what James talked about last week. If you weren't here last week, I would strongly recommend you go online on our blog site or on iTunes, listen to our messages. They're on iTunes now. You can just search Oasis Messages and podcast them. But if you think that tonight this stuff is a solution, it's not going to work. It might work for a while, and then it's going to let you down. And so you have to hear what James said last week, and many of you were here. So, Here's a good summary statement. Here's another quote, but this is kind of a good summary of what James said last week. He didn't say this exact phrase. This is, again, I'm quoting this guy, Josh Harris, um, who I quoted from a lot two weeks ago, wrote this book. He says this, there's really only one solution for lust. 
to regularly believe on Jesus Christ, to regularly believe on Jesus Christ, to renounce all hope in our own ability to save ourselves and to place our faith in his ability to save us. And you're like, Brad, I already, I already believed in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. That happened like a long time ago. And I go, yes, 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 that's, that's right and that's good. But that's how you started your Christian walk. You need to realize that to grow in Christianity, you regularly just do that. When you fall into sin, it's because you want sin more than you want Jesus. You want sin more than you want anything else right then. And so the solution is actually to go to the gospel. In fact, maybe this has helped you. Some of you, if you're in Student Impact, you've heard this at one of our meetings, that the law or the rules of the Bible, they really drive us to the gospel. The whole point of the rules is to drive us to the gospel to say, I can't do this, God. I can't do all this stuff. There's 613 of them in the Old Testament. I can't do this. I need you to save me. It's Paul at the end of Romans 7. He says, O wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to God. And so the law, the rules drive us to the gospel. And then, here's the crazy thing, the gospel actually frees us to obey the rules. Like, I actually want to do that stuff now. Your non-Christian friends don't get this, right? They, they think Christianity is only about all the rules because they've never come face to face with the gospel. They've never encountered Jesus and him dying for you and for them. So that's huge to understand. So getting practical tonight, I want to answer this question. What are some of the easy, practical steps we can take to prevent lust? Now, to do that, I want us to look at a really great passage of Scripture tonight. This is the only place I believe that Jesus directly talks about this issue of lust, that Jesus himself gives four verses on lust. So pull out your Bible. If you have the Bible app on your phone, pull out your Bible app. But I want you to turn with me. I want you to follow along. Go to Matthew 5, and this will be on the screens as well. Matthew 5, verse 27. If you're new to the Bible, it's toward the back, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we're in the New Testament. Matthew 5, this is the Sermon on the Mount is what it's called, this kind of whole section, chapters 5 through 7. And uh, Jesus is kind of tackling these different subjects. And in verse 27, I'm just going to read one verse here. He says this, You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. So what's Jesus doing here? Jesus here is agreeing with the Old Testament sex ethic. What he's quoting here is one of the Ten Commandments. What is the seventh or the eighth? But it's one of the Ten Commandments, and he's agreeing with it. He's saying this is good and right. And here is the Old Testament sex ethic. It's not news to most of you. You know this. But the Old Testament sex ethic is no sex outside of a covenant of marriage. Sex only within a covenant of marriage. That was what sex was designed to be. And you're saying, okay, that's, I've heard that all my life. Why, though, Brad? Why is that? Se- I mean, feels good. Why can't you just sleep with whoever you want? What's with the marriage thing? I don't, I don't really get it. Here's why. As we've already said two weeks ago, and I just said it, sex isn't the problem. We said lust is. I want you guys to understand, and especially hear this, that sex, the way it was created and designed to be, is not primarily a selfish act. It should not be seen as a selfish thing. I had a friend in college at Grace University that I remember said, like, Brad, isn't sex just primarily selfish? No, not in its proper context. In our world today, in a lot of places, because everyone's sleeping around, that's what it becomes. Sex, the way it was created and designed to be, is supposed to be a reflection of God's self-giving love for us, that he gave himself completely and fully for you. That's what sex is. It's designed to be a picture of that. And in marriage, again, that's, 
That's why a marriage is supposed to be monogamous between one man and one woman. You're not supposed to cheat on your spouse. It's a reflection of God's um, his faithfulness to us, his uncheating character toward us. It's an expression of giving yourself fully to someone, to your spouse, in every way, even legally. So here's this quote. C.S. Lewis, great Christian thinker, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. If that's the only way you know him, you should read more of his stuff. Deep thinker. But this is a great description of the, of the Christian sex ethic. He says this, and this doesn't come across as terribly gracious, but this is what he says. He says, the monstrosity of sexual intercourse outside of marriage is that those who indulge in it are trying to isolate one kind of union, the sexual, from all other kinds of union which were intended to go along with it and make up the total union. Does that make sense? You know what he's saying? He's saying here's the problem with lust and with sex outside of marriage. To have this one kind of union without whole life union, he actually basically says it lacks integrity. When you have sex outside of marriage, he's saying it lacks integrity. You're giving yourself to somebody sexually, but not in every other area, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, certainly not legally. But you're essentially saying it's all about, it's just about the pleasure and the sex. And again, what you're saying is sex is primarily selfish. In that mode, you're not using sex the way it was created to be as a self-giving thing. You're taking from somebody. And again, this is, this is not necessarily easy. And some of you are like, ooh, I've already screwed up in this area. This is not easy. We seek physical intimacy, sexual intimacy, but not whole life intimacy. Um, So when we deal with these issues we've kind of talked about the last couple weeks, the way lust comes across, comes out, manifests itself for us, romantic fantasies, more so for girls, for guys, pornography, masturbation, sex outside of marriage, it really says sex is all about me. And in fact, that's the attitude that a lot of our culture has, right? Like, I have a sex drive, and I need to get my needs met. I want to get me some. That's how we talk, right? Get me some. Because you can fully live functionally as a human being without having sex at all. But it's, it's something beautiful, and it is what is supposed to be in the context of marriage when you wake up to the person every day, and you're legally married to them. There's just no guilt or remorse or shame or I'm going to marry, I guess, somebody else someday, but for now it's us. Okay, moving on in the passage, look at verse 28. Just verse 28, Jesus says, But I tell you, so he adds to the Old Testament sex ethic. It says, But I tell you that anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Just kind of amps it up. No way around that, right? And so, whoa, you're like, adultery is one thing. But most of us in here are guilty of that. And that's one of the Ten Commandments. And so again, he's saying, you need a Savior. He's saying, I'm not condemning you. You just need a Savior. Here's some research. Some research was done, you guys, by two sociologists, um, Mark Regnerus and Jeremy Euchre. They wrote a book in early 2011, came out. It's called Premarital Sex in America. An empirical book. They did scientific research. They studied. I mean, this is Oxford Press University. These are smart guys. And they did this research. And at one section in the book, they kind of tackle a lot of views that our culture has about sex and sex outside of marriage and pornography and lust. And they, they actually counter them. Because of their scientific research, they find that those views are actually myths. And they counter them with the truth. And so here's one of the myths. These are three proven facts 
that counter this myth about pornography, that people just say pornography won't affect your relationships. You ever thought that or heard that? Oh, this, this is okay. This is fine. It won't affect my, affect my relationships. It's, I, what I do in my private life is, is just fine. It's not going to affect anybody. These two sociologists have found, yes, it will. And in fact, they say pornography now affects in our culture everyone's relationships. Everyone's relationships. Not just people that look at pornography, but as you'll see as I get to the third point, affects everyone's relationships just because it's so kind of ingrained in our culture. Here's the three results that they found. Number one, people who use pornography have crushingly unrealistic expectations regarding physical appearance and sexual performance. I mean, no, no surprise there, really, necessarily, right? But you have these young guys and girls, too, that look at pornography, and they, they have crushingly unrealistic expectations about how just the average girl should look. Because they're seeing these girls on, on a screen that are, like, maybe airbrushed, but certainly have had jobs done on different areas, and, and, and completely unrealistic expectations about what sex actually is like. It could crush, I mean, like, you get married someday, and you go, this isn't what I thought this was. It's huge. Number two, a significant portion, and they said, of men who look at porn experience a diminished tolerance for the difficulties of real relationships, and which therefore shrinks the marriage possibilities for women. They say that studies have proven that because of pornography, you guys, men are actually choosing porn over a real spouse, over a real woman, that they now are are less likely to get married because they have pornography. I just, I just heard a pastor last week say, for the first time in America, more women have their driver's license than men because in cities, young men would rather take the bus and take the subway so that they can play video games and look at porn on their phones. It's devastating. And here's number three. All women, they say, this is a quote, all women are increasingly being forced to accommodate sexual behaviors and their appearances for the images and the style of pornography through a variety of different avenues. Um, the fashion industry is doing it. Maybe your boyfriend is doing it. But increasingly, we're being forced to accommodate sexual, sexual behaviors and their appearances for the image, images and style of pornography. And so this is what Jesus says. And I think this sounds almost too much, but because of what I just said, this is so... This, I mean, this is so true. He, he writes this. Jesus says this. So he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, is he saying, is he saying if you lust, you're going to go to hell? No, he's not saying that. I could go into he uses a particular word even for hell there, Gehenna, which is just kind of talking about the unquenchable fire. Gehenna was a real, um, it was like where the trash was thrown outside of Jerusalem. It was a place of constant, I guess, like smoldering and burning. It was a place where the fire was unquenchable, much like lust. And so he, obviously he's not talking about self-mutilation here. Does he really want you to pluck out your eye? No. He's using hyperbole. But what is he saying? He's saying, be drastic with your sin. Be drastic. I don't care what you have to do. He, I mean, these, these things that these sociologists found about pornography, he says, it's going to ruin your marriage. Get it out of your life. What do you have to do? 
cut it off somehow. Be drastic. And so, here's the one thing. You, you got the main point on your outline. This isn't huge, but if you get one thing out of tonight, be drastic with your sin. Be drastic with your sin. Cut off your sinful habits. You've got to cut them off, which is, again, if you don't understand last week, you may have a completely like misunderstood expect or motivation for why to do this, but you just got to get rid of it. It'll destroy you. We, we look to sex and to lust and to romantic fantasies to give us what only God can give us. And he satisfies more. He does. I mean, every time you, you go through this lustful whatever, you just you feel dirty or gross or vile or I thought that was going to give me a, something and it didn't. It let me down again. So, how do we get drastic about lust? I'm running out of time. I've got to start to rush through these. So, I'm going to give you, um, here's what I'm asking you. What are your lust triggers? What are your lust triggers? You're like, well, what, is, what, what does that mean? What triggers lust for you? Where, where are the places where you're vulnerable and weak? That's the areas you need to focus on. And uh, this is different for each of us. Even there's no two guys probably deal with this. In ex- well, a, a lot of guys deal with this in exactly the same way. But there's not a one-size-fits-all solution to lust. Maybe some guys just haven't been pulled in by pornography before. I hope that's the case. I hope many of you have never seen that. I hope you never do. Don't go looking for it because you're curious because we're talking about it at Oasis. It's like a drug. You get hooked right away. Um, but you've got to come up with your own plan for how to deal with these things. So here's some categories to consider. Number one, time of day. Is there a certain time of day, and I don't know if this you know, pertains more to guys than the girls, but are you more susceptible to lust in the morning, maybe right when you wake up, or late at night right before bed? For a lot of guys, it's late at night, Maybe right before bed. But think about that. Is there a certain time of day? Maybe I know people, I have friends that regularly read their Bible or listen to worship music at bedtime strictly because they know this is going to happen. They're going to be tempted. And so they fill their thoughts, they fill their minds with different stuff, and it helps. Secondly, tempting locations. Are there certain places where you're more tempted by lust? Is there a certain friend's house where you go and to look at porn? because they have access to it, or they like to do it, or whatever. Um, is, there a, is there a certain bookstore? When you go to that bookstore, you find yourself kind of wandering in that certain section where you know those, those, there are those certain books. Maybe you don't go to that bookstore anymore. Maybe for you it's just going to the gym, some of you. Maybe even at your own schools, going to the weight room. Guys and girls are just wearing less clothes in the weight room, and that's a problem for you. Do you need to stop going? Do you... Where do you need to not go anymore? Tempting locations. Secondly, or thirdly, TV shows and movies. Not going to say a lot about this, but this is an easy off. There's a power button on the TV. Turn the TV off. Certain TV shows that you just need to give up. Is there a certain rating of movie that you shouldn't see? When I was in college, freshman or sophomore, I don't know. I remember I was a tribe leader here working with Jeff Dart, and I, was, I said, I'm, gonna, I'm done with rated R movies. I'm just done. I'm not going to watch them anymore. And I remember he even kind of said, you know, like, it's hard to make hard and fast rules about that stuff because the passion of the Christ is rated R. And it's rated R for good reason. It's extremely bloody. But I wanted to see that movie, and I chose to. And I'll probably see it again. And so you can't necessarily make, but still, by and large, Leslie and I, I'm 30 years old. 
I do not watch R-rated movies. In fact, just to be honest, we got one the other night, and we were like, this is stupid. This is awful. And we shut it off. We watched maybe two minutes of it. What are we doing? And it was a buck twenty at Redbox, which is great. We, like, lost nothing. Um, maybe you need to, yeah, get rid of, like, a certain whole category. Magazines. Is this the lust source for you? Certain magazines. You love certain celebrity gossip magazines because maybe you love to read about those two celebrities and you fantasize about having a guy someday that's as dreamy as this guy and you just love to read about it. Do you love to even look at People magazine just because there's, there's hot guys in there with their shirts off? I don't know. Music. Your music. This is a big one. What kind of message does your music portray? You say, oh, I don't, I don't know what they're singing about. I don't listen to the words. I just like it. No, no. I don't know. Especially, I mean, I don't mean to stereotype rap music, but if you love rap, and maybe you're like, I just, it doesn't make me struggle with lust, Brad, but so much of the secular rap stuff out there, I mean, I think can, very consistently they refer to their women as bees and, you know, the B word and hoes or other things. Consistently. That shapes how you view women. I'm serious. Don't, don't, don't tell me it doesn't. Maybe you need to throw some CDs away. I did that, and I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not telling you to go throw away all your secular CDs. I had a moment when I was in high school when I absolutely did that. I was more into rock music, but I was like, Soundgarden and Pearl Jam made me depressed. And I know you're like, oh, those are good bands. They are. They're fine. But for me at that time, I got rid of the music. Um, I got to skip around books. There's a whole new category of books now. Fifty Shades of Grey is, like, common. You go to the pool in the summer, there's a teenager reading that book. Seriously, are you going to go there? Romance novels, maybe that's what it is for you. Um, okay, Internet. i got to spend a minute here. Internet is the jackpot source of pornography and struggle for most of you in here, especially guys, if you, if you struggle with this. Um, it's found an endless supply. Like I said, if you don't struggle with it, please, please, please don't go looking for it. Um, you got to deal drastically with this. I'm going to throw this slide up on the screen. If you use the internet at home, put on a web blocker. And you're like, don't my parents have to do that? This is, this is awesome. This is a great, it's absolutely free. You don't have to buy some software. It doesn't block anything. This is on my house my computer in the Zook house, it doesn't go to a computer, it goes to your router. The address is right there, opendns.com backslash family shield. If you just Google family shield, it's, you change your internet router's IP address, you, you go to that link, you click on it, you, could, you just enter your email address, they won't spam you. If you, know, you need to know your brand of internet router and it takes you through the steps. It's very simple, it'll take you five minutes, maybe ten. Parents in here, I would do this if you have, any, if you have kids at home at all that can access the computer. Um, if you don't know too, I think you maybe will need your router's default login and it's right there. Um, and, it's, and it only blocks stuff, it blocks it automatically, it's a piece of cake. If you need, you can have somebody else, a parent, set a password for this router setup and you can never go in and change it. On your phone... Okay, for most of you, it's gone from internet at your home, and now, like I said two weeks ago, it's glorious. Let's take the internet and put it in our pockets. Wouldn't that be awesome if you had unlimited supplies of pornography, like, always on you? Isn't that brilliant? Who thought of that? Like, that's going to be the downfall. I feel like the downfall of male leadership and marriages, 
I mean, it's, it's probably crushed, it's crushed thousands of marriages already, I'm sure. Sexual addiction. Let's just put the internet and unlimited pornography in our, in our pockets. What do you do about that? Maybe you get rid of your smartphone. <gasps> what? I, I, I love my smartphone. Exactly. That's part of the problem. We idolize our smartphones. I got one two years ago. I, dis- I mean, I disconnected it primarily because to save us money. Went back to an old phone. But you know what? The lack of temptation, that's actually pretty nice. Because with that, with that website thing on my house, because it's wireless, I mean, so it still works. My, iP- my iPhone still works as, a, as a, like an iTouch. I still can't get to it at home because I've got that blocker on. It's just convenient. There's other ways, you guys. I, I could go on your phone right now, at least if you have an iPhone, and I could set a restriction, and uh, I could take off Safari for you, or I could take off certain things. You can, you can download, you can get different um, browsers that automatically block stuff. There's ways around it. For a Droid phone, I was talking to Ben about this today. Ben has a Droid. It's not quite as simple on a Droid, but there's ways around it. The greatest thing you can do to find victory over this, actually, and it's the thing that terrifies you the most, but if you would talk to your dad about this stuff, it would probably help for you to have someone at home that knows about it. Now, some of you are like, my dad looks at stuff. That's tragic, too. And that actually, I think, hurts us as sons and daughters if we know about it. Um, But maybe that's not the case. So maybe you need to talk to your parents about it. Um, In public, low low self-image. Maybe, gals, for some of you, the time you're most prone to lust is when you feel, you, you feel pretty worthless. You don't feel beautiful enough. You don't feel good enough. You don't feel like other guys want you, and that's your trigger. Um, I want you to take one minute right now, and uh, on your note card, if you have one, at the bottom, I want you to write out, and maybe you, don't, you, you feel like you can't write it out because your neighbor might see, but what are your top three lust triggers? I want you to start to think of a plan and write out what are your top three lust triggers. For some of you, um, something really needs to be done. When Jesus says, Cut it, pluck out your eye, like some, I mean, you've you got to deal drastically with this. He wasn't taking this lightly. Why do you keep like, oh, it's, maybe it'll just go away. Maybe this time it won't happen. As you're doing that, um, James and a couple of leaders are going to pass out just a, a a little card handout. This is what James basically ended with last week, a little acronym. This is a great practical tool, that APTAT thing, just to, you struggle with something, go through this. Put it in your pocket, carry it, around at school, carry, carry it in your pocket all day at school, put it in your Bible, put it somewhere where you'll see it. But what are your, what are your top three lust triggers? How can you avoid them? And then for your main one, the main thing that causes you to lust, how can you deal drastically with that? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Accountability is absolutely huge. We'll probably talk about that a little more next week. Go to a trusted friend. Come to me. Come to your your community group leader. They would love to hold you accountable. But again, that only goes so far. If you still want it, if you still long for it, if you still worship sex and porn and all this stuff, it's never going to stop until you see it for what it is and you want Jesus more. And you see that he satisfies more. So those things are going around. Um, here's kind of my last final 10%. Um, as you get that card, I think that's huge. You guys, I honestly believe the most practical thing you can do 
the most practical thing you can do is not strictly to put on a web blocker, although that helps and it's necessary, but it's to get in the Bible. It's to get in the Word and to spend time there daily. There's, there's almost just something weird about it, that as you start your day, I don't care if it's five, ten minutes, and you let the Scriptures like wash over your mind, it just changes your thoughts and your thought life, and it just it helps you. It helps you with this. It helps you think purely. It helps give you a proper perspective on, on women and who they are and who you are. If I would tell you anything, I would say get in the Bible daily, sometime. Maybe you can't do it in the morning. Do it right before bed. But develop a plan. Get a reading plan. Read a chapter a day. There's a, whole, there's a handout in the back right by the OGN applications. Takes you through how to have, how to have a devotion time in the Bible. When you've been struggling with lust, think about how consistent you've been on getting in the Word. Probably, probably correlates there, those couple of things. And then finally, here's the final thing. Don't feel, please, 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 don't feel beat up by guilt and shame at your errors in this area, at your lack of success in this area. And that's so easy for me to say. You guys, I've been there. I dealt with this big time in high school and early in college. Many of the leaders in this room probably have. Do not feel beat up by guilt and shame. There is, there is hope and forgiveness and reconciliation. And Jesus just says, look at the cross. It's taken care of. Don't weigh yourself down with guilt and shame. I died for you. I went to the cross for you, for your sin, for your junk. You can end it. Maybe you're like, how can I even be a Christian? I keep struggling with this stuff. No, it's real. Remember how James ended last week? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, he doesn't say, oh, now that you're a Christian, you're just going to not struggle with lust anymore. He never admits that. He says, we've been washed. That's what we get. We get Christ that washes our record clean, that wipes our slate clean. This is Isaiah 54, 4 and 5, and I'm closing with this. Do not be afraid. This is Isaiah writing to the people of Israel. Do not be afraid. You will not suffer shame. He writes, do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. He says, for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth, and he's yours. Sure, he loves everybody, but he loves you, and he knows you inside and out. As you, as you leave tonight, um, as you get into small groups, you've got to come up with a plan. I don't care if you don't tell anybody tonight. I hope you do tell somebody, but you've got to come up with a plan. And keep that Aptat card. That thing is gold. That thing is awesome. Let me pray for just one sec. God, we need you tonight. We need your spirit. God, all this stuff is good and fine. And God, we need to think about this. But God, we know our willpower is not the solution. God, trying harder doesn't work. We need you. We need a Savior to come and rescue us. So God, thank you for giving us the cross. And God, thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit to wash us clean. God, thank you that salvation is not dependent on, on us having a clean record, but it's dependent on you. And God, you gave yourself for us, for sinners like us. Thank you for that. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.